It's such a 24-7 job, and especially in my case where it's a family restaurant. You know, we, we got a Michelin star from day one, so, you know, we were viewed as one of the best Indian restaurants in the country. We're one of only two or three restaurants that had a Michelin uh, that served Indian food. So there was a lot of pressure on the kitchen day in and day out. It was reviewed heavily. You had Wine Spectator, you had Michelin, you had New York Times. So every dinner service had to be perfect. So there was a lot of stress to begin with. I had to learn on the go. I didn't have any culinary training. I didn't go to culinary school. So pretty much I would just try to immerse myself as much as possible. And I definitely think that this is an industry where you have to be really passionate in order to succeed because you'll easily burn out if, if you don't have something that's really driving you because it's just long hours and you know a lot of sacrifice. Every business, whether or not they realize it, is an idea business. And great ideas can come from anywhere. The people at Gray have a long history of finding and creating famously effective ideas. And so with Gray Matter, we explore the ideas shaping our world. We ask creators, artists, founders and leaders from different industries about how they came up with their best ideas. And that's Gray Matter. On this episode of Gray Matter, we'll discuss how ideas can come from anywhere, especially from our sense of taste. Hi, I'm Jason Connor, Global Chief Client Officer at Gray. This week, we're discussing the ideas that come from the kitchen of Janoon, a modern Indian restaurant in New York's Flatiron District. Senior project manager and Gray Matter producer Samantha Geller chatted with Akshay Bardwaj, Janoon's executive chef, about his unconventional path to the role of executive chef, how he approaches collaborations, what it's like starting a new restaurant, and where he finds inspiration for dishes when traveling. Akshay was born in Queens and studied business at both Fordham University and Baruch College before discovering his passion for cooking. Between 2012 and 2017, Akshay ascended in the culinary world from line cook to executive chef at Janoon. For eight consecutive years, Janoon was awarded one Michelin star and held the title of the only Indian restaurant in New York City with a Michelin star from 2018 to 2019. Akshay was selected as a Goan Society Culinary Scholar and became the first Indian chef to be selected for the Forbes 30 Under 30 Food and Drink List. He showcases a menu that reflects the diversity of India, steeped in the classics while offering modern touches. Outside the kitchen in 2023, Akshay joined the Junior Board of Directors for the Make-A-Wish Foundation and enjoys sports and collects sneakers. This is Akshay Bardwaj. You know, I grew up pretty much in a family of uh, hospitality. My father's been in the industry since the 1980s. And he got his start in India in the Taj Hotels, which is one of the biggest hotel chains, which has massive restaurants. The Indian culinary scene is kind of different than America, where a lot of the top restaurants in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s were mainly featured in hotels. So my dad moved to this country in 1990 and decided he wanted to open his own restaurants. And yeah, I was Born and brought up into it, I ended up going to business school. I kind of had like a stereotypical family where they wanted my older brother to be a doctor and me to be a businessman. And I had no real interest in business. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but kind of fate drew me in. I was working with this accounting firm as an intern from my freshman year of college, and they handled the books for different restaurant groups, including Zuma, Cipriani and Janoon as well. 
with Janoon being my father's restaurant, they decided they were going to put me there to do the accounting for the restaurant. And I knew within a couple of weeks that this is not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And pretty much spent the rest of the summer doing the accounting, but also kind of uh, working part-time in different parts of the restaurant. So I worked two weeks at the front desk, then I worked two weeks at the bar, and then I worked two weeks in the kitchen. And it was when I was in the kitchen that I realized that that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And where did you get the courage and drive to make this happen, becoming a chef? I pretty much thought that, you know, this might be a summer thing that that I'm into it. But within a week or two of being in the kitchen, I was, A, I was not very good at it for sure. I was getting my my butt kicked every day. But I really loved kind of that team chemistry and how important 20 people you know, are to each other when you're in the kitchen. And there was a lot of discipline involved in it. And as a 19-year-old kid, I didn't have much discipline in my life. So I really thought that this was something that was starting to strengthen me as a, as a person, as an individual. And, you know, come towards the end of the summer, I spoke to my chef and kind of asked him for his honest feedback in terms of if I could do this professionally moving forward. And he gave me kind of that reassurement that, hey, you know, take a semester off, work with me and see where this goes. And luckily, my older brother also kind of paved the way for me because uh, after he did his undergrad in medicine, he had a change of career also. He was the one that spoke to my dad. You know, my father was pretty intimidating growing up. And my brother asked my dad that he wanted to go into films. And that was something that was his passion. It drove him like crazy. He was, you know, growing up, he always had a camera in his hand. And, you know, to our surprise, my dad was supportive of it. He said, all right, you go to film school, you know, and I'll support you through that. And then after that, you're on your own. And with that kind of setting the precedent in my family that, okay, you know, I can approach my dad, my chef and me went to my father, spoke to him. And yeah, he gave the blessing that, okay, you take a semester off and you're going to work like a chef's schedule, six days open to close. You're going to miss birthdays. You're going to miss anniversaries. You're going to miss weddings. You'll miss all these major milestones because that's what a chef's life is like. And see at the end of the semester, then what you think. And, you know, the rest is history. With the drive that you're mentioning, is there a certain process that you follow as really the creative lead in the kitchen, whether it's making a seasonal menu, a pop-up, collaborating? Uh, how does that process work? Yeah. So when it comes to creating, um, there's there's a myriad of factors that go into it. I'm always looking at kind of like other chefs and restaurants and kind of, you know, try to get inspiration from them and see what are the best in my industry doing? You know, it's like anyone in any field, like I, I always think of kitchens uh, kind of like sports, you know, it's team, a chef can't succeed without his team. So, you know, you want to try and emulate yourself as as the best. So that's that's one part of it. Two is definitely seasonality and kind of trying to see what's, you know, what does the New York City produce landscape have to offer? So in October, I will definitely feature squash more often than in the, in the summertime. 
uh, you know, berry season will be in the spring and summertime. So I'll, I'll feature that. Apples are very famous in New York. You know, everyone goes apple picking. So that's something I try to feature in my menu. Same thing with seafood, try to figure that out. So that plays a role in it, seeing what other restaurants are doing. And then for me personally, with us being an Indian restaurant, I definitely don't want to call myself or call the restaurant fusion. I try my best to take traditional techniques and ingredients or recipes and from there put my own twist on it. So I want somebody that comes from India or grew up eating Indian cuisine to kind of have that nostalgic moment that, oh, this brings me back to a time and a place. So that's kind of the groundwork. And then my plating and my presentation, that will come from what's around me and and kind of just what is beauty on the plate. And that's very subjective to everybody. I love that. And when, I guess, hearkening back to the inspiration, have you traveled anywhere that has specifically awoken any any, I guess the word again would be inspiration in you to, I guess, bring back these practices or senses that were appealing to you when you were in this place uh, back to Janoon or, or really anywhere that you're in a kitchen? Yeah, I think travel is very, very important for for a chef and for, for this industry because cultures, I think when you're actually physically in a space, the smell, the, all the senses, I think all those things that you kind of see and feel that emotion, that's something that you bring back with you and that you can implement in in kind of the cuisine that you're doing. I'm a firm believer that, you know, if you can watch all the videos out there and shows and, and all of that kind of media, but you still won't get that kind of feel and that essence. So for me personally, I took a culinary scholarship to go to Japan for two weeks back in 2019. And I got to go with four other fantastic chefs. It was pretty much like a college applicant process where you're answering questions, you need letters of recommendation, and and there's thousands of chefs that try to apply for this scholarship. And during that trip, pretty much, we traveled about four or five different cities, Kyoto, Kanazawa, Sakai, Osaka, Tokyo, and we got to work in Kanazawa in a restaurant, actually. So each chef got to work in different restaurants. So for four days, I was with, you know, a Japanese chef that was executive chef of his restaurant for about 50 years. The restaurant was about 250 years old, so pretty much almost as old as America is. And I got to learn kind of how he goes about omakase and, and kind of that style of cuisine. So I definitely came back to my kitchen with so much of that knowledge and just understanding and appreciation of of Japanese cuisine. And I noticed definitely during my trip there that the Japanese chefs were actually using some Indian ingredients and like famous Indian ingredients. So when I saw them using that, I said, wait, why can't I then, you know, use some of those, uh, you know, ingredients in a different way as well when I when I come back to Janoon. And another interesting thing during that trip was that I got to kind of see how knives are forged over there and the process and how these guys uh, work pretty much 60, 70 years of their life just focusing on one thing, uh, which is forging knives. So my entire kitchen, although we're in an Indian kitchen, each person pretty much has their own set of knives. They're all Japanese knives. And I pretty much have had them get tutored in that kind of, uh, you know, 
that kind of artistry. So during your travels, have you tasted things from other chefs and cuisines that you could kind of pick apart with your expertise? Yeah, definitely. When it comes to like their techniques that they're using and ingredients or just stylistically what they're doing, there's definitely things I pick up on. You know, with everything, I definitely try to just take inspiration. I never try to just copy, you know, exactly verbatim what what a chef is doing. And you can never, that's the beauty, I think, of cooking is you can never truly copy another recipe. You know, if I give you one recipe and I give myself the same recipe and we both make it, it's going to come out a little bit different based on just, you know, your your style of maybe cooking it, the times, the temperatures, all those small, small nuances. It's going to come out a little different. Uh, one example I have is when I was in Japan, there, there was a chef. He was using a puchka, which is a puffed semolina ball. So it's like fried uh, semolina crisp that in India, we are famous for that because it, the dish is called pani puri in India or puchka as well. And it's a street food that we take the puffed semolina, we poke a hole in it, and then we stuff it with potatoes and chickpeas and some chutneys and onions and tomatoes. And then we pour a drink inside of it called jaljira. It's like mint cilantro. And you eat it in one bite. So people can just sit there on the street corner and just pretty much like order like one at a time and just keep popping them in their mouth pretty much. And I got that idea from that inspiration from him seeing that chef in Japan using that puchka, but he was serving it with seafood, which Indian cuisine, we don't ever do raw seafood really. It's usually cooked. But I took that inspiration. I came back here to New York and we ended up doing kind of a tuna sashimi, raw tuna, seasoned it with our Indian spices and cilantro and onions and everything, stuffed it in the puchka, and did a traditional Indian drink and topped it with caviar, of course, being a little, you know, a little over the top. And originally the managers and everyone was like, this is not going to sell. It's raw fish. We've tried to do raw fish in the past and it never sells. I said, this is through the lens of something nostalgic. Let's just try it. We tried it and we've never taken it off the menu since. And I can tell you I've had that dish and it is delicious. Yeah. You're mentioning kind of collaborating with these different sorts of cuisines. And I assume you've collaborated with a lot of different people over the years. I was curious uh, when you are collaborating with other chefs outside of Janoon, how do you bring these new culinary ideas to life with, with them? Yeah, when we do collaborations at the restaurant, one thing I think collaborations are very important. A, I think the guest, which is the most important person in our restaurant, they're getting a new experience. And, you know, we have some diehard guests. We've been open since about 2011. So we want to give them something different to experience. And then when we go about the creating process, A, I try to allow that chef to express what they want to express. And then I want to just offer them whatever support it is that they need. And I want to guide them towards something that I know our guests would appreciate, which is that they're coming to a restaurant that serves Indian food so that if it's adding a spice blend or adding a chutney or a sauce, something that finishes the dish, that's kind of what I want to offer. So we've had definitely a handful of collaborations. We did one with uh, Cafe Balud, which at the time they were one Michelin starred French restaurant. 
the chef owners, Daniel Baloud, one of the, you know, the best chefs in the history of, you know, New York City cuisines and worldwide. So his executive chef, Jared uh, Zivchek, pretty much came to our kitchen. We discussed what, you know, what do we want to do? I think it was a four course menu. And the point of the collaboration is also to, you know, try to give back to the community. So we said, you choose a farm or some kind of charity of your, of your choice, and we'll give proceeds of that event ticket sales to, to that charity. So also that, you know, there's that added element that we're wanted to help the community out as well. And yeah, he wanted to do pretty much like a, a fish in a uh, Bermonté, which is definitely like a French style of poaching the fish with a lot of butter and water and they emulsify it. And that part was good. And I think the element that I helped him in, in trying to navigate that dish was that I offered kind of like an Indian sauce to go along with it. It was a South Indian coconut, tamarind, uh, mustard seed and curry leaf based sauce. So the cooking of the fish and protein, that was kind of his side of the dish, which he treated in a very French way. And then the sauce component of the dish was done in an Indian way. And, you know, that's just one example. I'm definitely getting hungry right now. (laughs) Going back to earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that you guys had received a Michelin star, I think right when you started at Janoon. And then you also mentioned uh, this program you did in Japan, which sounded super prestigious. What was the most, at this point in your career, special accolade that you've received? And is there a new honor or new goal that you're after at this point? I think, yeah, probably receiving the Michelin star as executive chef was was probably the highest accolade I've gotten in my career. Uh, it was definitely a little nerve-wracking that year because we... So a chef never technically gets the Michelin star. It's the restaurant that gets it. But of course, the chef gets all the praise uh, when the restaurant does well and then gets all the backlash when it doesn't do well. So, you know, you take the positives with the negatives. And I joined the restaurant back in 2012, 2013. And from there on then, you know, we got a Michelin star every year and you don't know who the inspector is. You don't know when they're coming in. You can't, no amount of PR or anything can really buy that Michelin star, you know, you're kind of at the mercy of a random person that when, when you're a restaurant that's open seven days, lunch and dinner, you have to be, that means you have to be consistent and on point 365 days of the year for about nine hours every day. So there's definitely a lot of stress in that. And with that being the case, I was 23 years old when I took over, which was definitely quite a young age. And so that year was stressful. I was executive sous chef for two years before that. So I felt pretty confident. Some of those dishes that were on the menu, I had a hand in in creating when we got the star. And then when I took over, we ran the restaurant for two years with with us continuing to get the star. That would be number one for me. Uh, I've also cooked at the James Beard House, which is definitely something that there's a lot of history behind it. And all the best chefs in the world have always cooked at that, uh, at the James Beard House. So you know, it's an honor and a privilege to to cook there. So I've gotten that opportunity as well. I would put that up there. And in terms of new accolades that I want to get, I'm always striving definitely to try and get a second star, try, you know, hopefully one day I can, I can do that. And probably, you know, maybe you get a James Beard Award. But for me, there's just so much that goes into creating a restaurant and building the team that, 
if I start thinking too much about that, it's I'm going to go crazy. So my main focus day in and day out is just make sure I'm giving my team the tools they need to succeed and that I'm giving the guest a product that they're very happy with and that, you know, from a business perspective that, you know, we can pay the bills and pay our staff, pay our vendors and juggling all those are pretty much enough for me to deal with every day. Okay, so speaking of building teams and running restaurants, I know that you have a new project on the horizon called Jazzba, your new restaurant. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, very excited. So we're opening a new restaurant called Jazzba, which is opening in the East Village. Uh, it's taking over a very famous location, uh, the old Momofuku Sambar, which was David Chang's second restaurant. The original uh, milk bar was created in that kitchen. The cuisine that we want to focus on is uh, the street hawker foods of India. It's one thing that we've seen in the history of New York cuisine and cuisine in America featuring Indian food being predominantly North Indian and featuring dishes like butter chicken, saag paneer, dal, makhni, naan, uh, pretty much to the point where most people can just walk into a restaurant and without looking at the menu, just order samosas, papad, and butter chicken. But we've definitely seen a shift probably in the last five to 10 years. And I think Janoon definitely was a trailblazer in that where restaurateurs are now giving chefs more freedom to experiment with Indian cuisine and kind of showcase more dishes. And ethnic cuisines in general in New York are, I think, having a moment in the last few years. We've definitely seen accolades and awards going towards that. We're seeing a lot of funding going towards ethnic foods. And Indian food is also having that kind of moment. And I think New Yorkers are way more open now more than ever to trying different foods and, and open to trying different kinds of Indian food. And the cuisine is very vast. We haven't scratched the surface of the cuisine. And for me personally, it's taken a lot of research over the last few years, for sure. You know, being born and brought up in New York, would hear stories of my parents going in New Delhi and eating at these you know, these kind of street eateries and, and these like one-off hole-in-the-wall kind of places. And each place pretty much will be famous for just one kind of dish, whether it's like the Pratavala Gully, which is, they just focus on breads, like stuffed breads. And it's been around since 1875. So it's seven generations. They just keep passing the recipe down a generation and it stays within the family. And any city you go in India, you're going to get a lot of these kinds of eateries. We're bringing over a team of chefs from India. They pretty much specialize in specific regions of the country. So it was definitely a process in kind of interviewing and figuring out who kind of had that speciality in breads and kebabs and curries for the dishes that we want to feature. And we went to these vendors, the, the street hawkers, and, you know, asked them, you know, we're not going to infringe on India. We're not trying to open any places up in India. We have a history of 30 years being in America that we want to try to learn your dishes and we want to kind of showcase it to the Western world. And some of them were happy to share it. Some of them were like, no chance at all. Uh, you know, we, we took some trips and we would go and eat there several times. And I would, you know, jot down some mental notes and and try to kind of see what, what were the techniques and, you know, spices and, and all the methodology that went behind these dishes so that we could bring it back over here and have a restaurant about 20 dishes long 
have some kebabs, some breads, some curries that are definitely very different than what you normally get. That's awesome. I haven't actually ever had Indian street food. So that sounds very exciting, very delicious. I will be there. I am definitely a fan of this idea. And is there a story behind the name of the restaurant? Yeah. So Janoon means passion in Urdu and Jazba also kind of vaguely means passion as well. It's kind of like energy and emphasis. That's that's the meaning of Jazba. So we're pretty much kind of just sticking to that passion, energy, uh, enthusiasm, being ecstatic. And luckily we got a J for Janoon and a J for Jazba. So it just works out that way. Yeah, it sounds like you're kind of keeping it in the family. So that's very cool. And were there any critics of this idea from when it was first conceived? What were the sorts of things people were saying? We, so yeah, we're very lucky, I would say, over the last, since we opened up Janoon in 2011, we've had a pretty strong team of people that have stayed with us. And, you know, what I mean is, we have some cooks that have been with us from day one. We have our pastry chef that's been with us. He's from Guatemala, but he's really enthusiastic about learning Indian cuisine. And he's worked in some of the best restaurants in New York that that is different from Indian cuisine. So he's been with me since the day I took over as head chef. I've, of course, been with the company for a very long time. And then our general manager also, Heyman Patak, he's been with us since, I think, 2013. And he's a mixologist by trade, but also is fantastic at service. So that core team kind of took my father's lead. It was it was definitely his idea that brewed in his mind. And he's very open to hearing that kind of like criticism and seeing like, okay, what uh, do you think it'll work? Do you think it'll not work? So there's definitely a lot of factors that we take in, into whether it's going to work or not. You know, one is definitely location. So this has been something in the works for many years now. And we definitely went and saw probably 15, 20 different spaces. And we definitely thought that, okay, this is not the right place. You know, it's sometimes you might have a very good idea for a restaurant and you could have the best chef, the best bartender, best wine program. But if it's not in a location where the locals and want to really embrace it, you're not going to necessarily succeed. The East Village, it really spoke to us. One of my father's first restaurants ever was called Cafe Spice. It opened in 1997 and it opened in University Place and East 11th Street, which is only about like a five, 10 minute walk from where we're opening Jazba. And so he knows that location very well. He knows that the demographic says that it's definitely college kids that lived there and that they would potentially embrace something like this, that the food is going to be vibrant. It's going to be much more casual of a space than Janoon. So we definitely tweaked the idea over the years to kind of get it to this last place. So it's definitely taken different forms, whether it's the location, even the menu. We had about 80 dishes that we tried. So over the course of the last year or two, we've taken several trips to India and during those trips, we would try the dishes there. Then we would recreate the dishes. And then while we recreated the dishes, we would take notes and say, well, this might work. This might not work. This makes sense. This doesn't make sense. So we've narrowed it down from 80 dishes to 20 dishes now. And I think, you know, so it's just kind of evolving all the time. 
Gotcha. And this sounds like a very big labor of love for not only you, but your family, your father, your whole team. I was curious throughout this process, has there been a place that you go or something you do when you're in need of inspiration or just in general need to get out of your own head? I wouldn't necessarily say a place that we go to. I think it's more so the people that I'm surrounded with, that those are the people that inspire me. I think traveling in general gives that kind of inspiration. So I've been definitely very fortunate over the last year or two to be taking a lot of trips. Taking, I've taken several India trips. Uh, I was in Alaska in June of 2023, learning about salmon for about four or five days. So that was very inspirational to kind of learn about a product that I've used my whole life, but never really getting to connect with it on that level. So I think that those sorts of trips bring me that motivation and inspiration. And then just speaking to my pastry chef, my GM, I have other chef friends in the industry as well that I'll reach out to from time to time. And just speaking to them gives me kind of a new inspiration. And I think New York has such a amazing, vast variety of restaurants and bars that I definitely try to visit different restaurants from time to time. And just kind of seeing what these other chefs are doing and what they're creating is definitely something that I'll take note of while I'm enjoying my meal or my drink. And so far in your career, has there been any piece of advice that you've received along the way that has helped you keep going? Well, I mean, one one definitely in terms of just being a leader, it's always treat others the way you want to be treated because at the end of the day, that old school mentality as as a chef personally... I've watched. You can't really lead a kitchen the way you see maybe Gordon Ramsay screaming and yelling on TV. Those days of getting people to work through fear, it doesn't last long. They might work hard for you for a month or so, but at some point, and that point will be sooner rather than later, they're going to quit on you or they're not going to respect the food that you want them to cook. And at the end of the day, one of the secret ingredients in food is definitely love. I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you're in a good mood when you're cooking, your food's going to come out better than if you're mad or upset or stressed or anything like that. So I definitely try to keep a semi-calm environment in the kitchen, as calm as it can be. I definitely try to get input from my staff, whether they're right or wrong. You know, I try to just allow them to express themselves and feel comfortable enough that they can come and and talk to me about their problems, you know, whether it's professional or private, uh, because it is definitely long hours. It's definitely, it's a little tricky. A lot of cooks will have significant others that are not in the industry sometimes. So you're talking about somebody that's, you know, has a spouse maybe working nine to five and then they're working night times. So they don't really see each other much. So they end up spending more time in our kitchen amongst each other. So I always say that our kitchen is pretty much a family. We see each other more than we see our own families. And that's true for pretty much everyone except me, because of course I do see my family every day. So I do want to extend them that courtesy. So I would say that, you know, just being, just try to always be honest, you know, with yourself and with others is something that's very important because, you know, time is very valuable. So wasting each other's time, I think is something that like I try to just cut straight to the point with somebody, you know, if something's not working out, I would rather them move on than wasting their time, wasting my time. I think that's the most priceless thing is time. So yeah, I would say those are a couple of little nuggets I picked up along the way. What would you say to someone like you who has the same 
type of talent in the culinary industry, but might not know where to start. So when it comes to this industry, there's kind of like two methods of going about it. One is that you go to culinary school and through that you'll study for about two years and you definitely learn fundamental basics. The question I always ask cooks that are trying to get their start in the industry is financially kind of where are you at in your life? Because you don't make much money coming into this industry, unfortunately. You know, you're working 40, 50 hours at 15 an hour or 16 an hour, something like that. And with that being the case, you know, living in New York, it's expensive. So you have to kind of be realistic and set those realistic expectations for you. So that's like the number one question I'll always ask. Number two, I'll also ask, like, is your family, where is the support in, in terms of your family? When it, when it comes to the Indian community, being a chef was definitely looked down upon at one point. Now I think there's definitely more acceptance. But I've definitely had cooks come to me over the years trying to get their foot in the door and saying that my parents don't approve of this, but I want to be a chef. So that leads me to kind of my next point, which is, that if you don't want to necessarily do culinary school, you don't have the money, you don't have the backing or the funding and don't want to be in debt or something like that, then you have to take an apprenticeship at a restaurant. And I will always tell them, chefs are definitely very willing to teach if you are willing to be taught. So that is something that you have to show. You have to be come in a little bit early and stay back a little late. I know that's very like cliche to say, but myself as a chef, I really do value if one of my cooks comes even like 20 or 30 minutes early and says, chef, I want to learn something. I want to read something. You know, I have books in my kitchen and, and all those things, all those resources. I will, if you just do that once a month, I'll be more than happy, like very ecstatic. And I do ask these cooks that everyone has social media. So are you following other restaurants and chefs? Do you know what's going on in the industry? So I think understanding, following all the three Michelin, two Michelin, one Michelin star restaurants, following all the four star New York Times restaurants, seeing what they're doing is number one. Number two is either getting an apprenticeship or going to culinary school. And once you get that apprenticeship, you really have to, I think, sacrifice. And, you know, whether it's coming in an extra day just to try and learn or observe, do what you can work one full year in one restaurant and then try to learn as many different cuisines as possible. So go to maybe start at a French restaurant, go to Indian restaurant in your second year, go to an Italian restaurant in your third year, Latin American in your fourth year, so that you pick up as much as you can. And then don't think about, I want to be a manager. I want to get a salary. I want to do this and that. If you learn the fundamental basics of these different cuisines and really grind those first few years, I think by year five, six, seven, you're going to be getting managerial positions and then you'll be making salary and starting to reap those kind of rewards that, you know, you, you've laid in your, those first few years. You've named both of your restaurants after words around passion. How do you stay passionate? Great question. I would definitely say that for me, this is a grind 24-7, 365 days a year. So there's definitely going to be lulls from time to time. I think that's for everybody in any industry and any job. But for me personally, I love just everything about the industry, meaning that 
I have a team of about 25 cooks and dishwashers and pastry cooks that work under me. So each person I'm individually kind of molding into chefs. So that's one part of it. The creativity is another part of it. Uh, the business side is another part. So there's a lot of work to be done 24 seven. So I'm, I can constantly keep busy. And then with that, I just think food brings people together. And growing up in my household, my mom cooks, my dad cooks, and we used to have big get togethers, kids, families, everyone used to come over and we would all hang around food. So that is my greatest memory. So for me to continue the lineage of my family dating back to my grandparents and my great grandparents, the food that they ate, that I'm getting the opportunity in New York City to showcase those kinds of foods through the lens of probably, you know, the greatest city, one of the, you know, historically best cities in the world. And I get to do it to a packed house every night of guests that are supporting us and giving us our money. I think just kind of all those things come together and that definitely keeps me very motivated and passionate. And, you know, my dad came to this country with pretty much nothing, no support, nothing at all. And he's gotten us to this point and gotten the cuisine personally, you know, to this point of being a Michelin starred Indian restaurant with two glasses, wine spectator, massive wine cellar. That's another barrier that we broke because Indian food and wine was never viewed as something that paired well together. So all these things he's done, he's been a visionary. So now I always take it upon myself to think that I need to take it to the next level now. And that's my responsibility. And I love it. I go to work every day figuring out of ways how can I A, maintain the standard and then B, take it to the next level. Akshay is such an interesting creative mind, and it's so fascinating to hear all the thought behind a menu at a top restaurant. Sam, what surprised you in talking to Akshay? To be honest, Jason, I was hanging on to Akshay's every word, listening to his story. The first thing that struck me about Akshay was his sheer drive to enter the culinary industry in the first place. As you may have heard in our conversation, being a chef wasn't in his plan coming out of school. And from my own experience, I know folks that have become chefs and went to school from a young age to follow through with this career. So it's also very inspiring uh, that Akshay made up his mind and made it happen in this tremendous and challenging industry. And speaking of making it happen, during his culinary journey, which brought him to all sorts of places around the world, Akshay absolutely immersed himself in every which way he could to learn about cooking techniques, running kitchens, bold flavors, and the even bolder cultures that those flavors come from. That's great. Tell us how our listeners can learn more about Akshay and his restaurants, Janoon and Jasba. Of course, folks can start by going to janoonnyc.com to see their menu, learn about Akshay and his team, and maybe book a table for the next time they're in New York's Flatiron District. They're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Janoon, J-U-N-O-O-N, NYC. Incredible. Thank you, Sam. Well, that does it for us. If you'd like to hear more creators, founders, and inventors discuss ideas that are driven by their passion, then check out all past podcasts in this feed. Reach out to us with questions and comments on Gray's social channels or our email address, podcasts at gray.com. And lastly, tell someone about our show. It helps us share these ideas with the world. I'm Jason Connor, and thanks for listening to Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas. Gray Matter is hosted by Jason Connor. 
Produced by Samantha Geller. Mixed by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes at Gramercy Park Studios. With post-production support from Ned Martin, Robin Frank, and Kyle St. Agath. Marketing and administrative support by Christina Hyde, Adrian Hopkins, Marcella Basilar, and Gina Cuneo. Editor and executive producer, Joey Scarillo. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.